What is up, my Bangarang baddies? Uh, so today I'm bringing you the first official Bangarang book club episode. And if you did not listen to, I think it was two weeks ago, my last episode, the book that we were reading is Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick. And it's an autobiography type of book with a bunch of essays she wrote just like going through her life. She starts at like I think the age of nine or something. She starts really young and then goes all the way through the present. And it came out in 2016. I read it, I think, in 2018, but I reread it. And it's just like one of my favorite books because it's so funny and relatable. Um, so I'm going to just kind of give you guys an outline of what, how the episode's going to go. So I'm going to just read you the synopsis. And then I'm going to read a few of my favorite excerpts and then chat about my favorite quotes from the book. She's got a lot of good ones. Um, but I really liked this book because, uh, when I read it, I picked it up for vacation because I like to read, like, funny, kind of lighthearted books. I don't really like to think when I'm on vacation. Um, and when I was reading it, Jesus Christ, sorry, my, um, laptop noise is on. But when I was reading it, I was, like, dying. Like, I was cracking up out loud on the plane and people were, like, watching me. But it was so freaking good. I love this book a lot. Highly recommend if you didn't read it that you read it. And hopefully this episode makes you excited to want to read it. Um, but, alright, so I'm just going to give you the summary that is on the back of the book. Okay, so the synopsis. <clears throat> Sorry. I just got back from the gym, so I just stuffed my face. Okay. So, basically the book is a collection of humorous autobiograph- autobiographical, that's a word, autobiographical essays by the Academy Award-nominated actress and star of Up in the Air and Pitch Perfect. Uh, And so Anna said, I'm excited to publish my first book, and because I get uncomfortable when people have high expectations, I like to use this opportunity to showcase my ineptitude and pettiness and the frequency with which I embarrass myself. And while many of my female inspirations who have become authors are incredibly well-educated and accomplished comedy writers, I'm very, very funny on Twitter, according to BuzzFeed and my mom. So I feel like this is a great idea. Quick question, are run-on sentences still frowned upon? Wait, is the ending uh, is ending a sentence with a preposition still frowned upon? I mean, upon frowned? Damn it. Anna Kendrick's autobiographical collection of essays amusingly recounts memorable moments throughout her life, from her middle-class upbringing in New England to the blockbuster movies that have made her one of Hollywood's most popular actresses today. Expanding upon the witty and ironic dispatches for which she is known, Anna Kendrick's essays offer her one-of-a-kind commentary on the absurdities she's experienced on her way to and from the heart of pop culture. <clears throat> that was a quote from Audible. Audible. I'm sorry, I can't speak. Um, so I really think that this is a fun book to read, especially if you're just like looking for something to read after work when you're tired and you just want to laugh or just kind of zone out. It's really easy and it feels like she's talking to you like the way she writes it's kind of just how she thinks it's not exactly a stream of conscious but you know what I mean um and she's got some juicy shit in here like she talks about when she was working with Zac Efron I forget what movie it is but she's talking about how when she worked with him and how he's literally one of those people that people that is just as cool in person as he is on screen and then I don't know if anyone's watched the Netflix documentary with Zac Efron I forget what it's called, Um, but she's actually in one of the episodes, the water episode, and she's pretty funny. I guess they're better friends than I thought they were, Uh, but yeah, so let's just dive in. I had outlined key notes, but they don't really make sense if you don't read the book, Um, so I'm just going to read you some of my favorite excerpts from the book. 
I the parts that I really enjoyed were when she was talking about like acting in movies and what set life is like and just growing up trying to make it. Um, okay, I folded down some pages, but let's see. Oh, okay, here we go. Sorry, where the fudge is this page? Okay, <clears throat> so the first one that I noted, dog-eared, I think that's what it's called when you fold down corners of pages, was the chapter called Making Movies is a, Fool, a Fool's Errand. So whether you're driving to work or just hanging out at home, sit back and relax because I'm going to read to you like you're my kindergarten class, okay? Oh my god, I can't breathe. <clears throat> okay, here we go. I need a lot of sleep, more sleep than I'd like. I wish I could be one of those people who thrives on five hours a night, but I really need seven or eight just to function. I'm, I'll happily take nine, ten of your offering. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. I'm actually going to lie down for a minute. Okay, that was nice. Maybe I need more iron in my diet. I bring it up because on a film set, sleep becomes the ultimate commodity. The hours are fucking bananas. We're certainly not curing cancer, but man, do we stay at work like we're trying. All you do when you're making a movie is sleep and go to work. You're staying in a hotel or a rented apartment, miles often several time zones away from anyone you know. It's hard to see the outside, see outside the little world you're in. You can't get perspective because for the duration of the shoot, nothing else exists. So you're at the mercy of the people around you, the group you're working with, aka your only waking companions, will dictate whether you're going to spend the next few months euphoric or miserable. Sometimes it's awesome. When you know there's a ticking clock on your relationships, it's fun to get way too close too fast. Why pace yourself? You won't even have to get sick of each other. Okay, I'm pausing. I think this is so accurate for when you're in, like, a sorority or when you're, like, first going to college because, like, everyone wants friends really fast. You just become, like, besties with anyone you meet. So my soon-to-be college freshman, this is basically your life. Because when I went to college, I think I met one person at, like, a yoga networking event during freshman week, and we were best friends for, like, three weeks and then realized we had nothing in common and stopped talking. <laughs> um, okay, <clears throat> resuming. You jump into intense friendships, and it's bittersweet and wonderful. Sometimes you don't like the people you're working with. It's temporary, but facing another 16-hour block with people you don't like can feel insurmountable even when you know it's only for a few months. Getting on Skype with your best friend to talk shit helps, but you gotta get to sleep and do it all over again in six hours, so make your shit talk count. I try not to let it, but my personal feelings can affect how I approach filming. I once got into a debate with a director because I didn't understand why I would kiss the actor in the scene with me. I felt like there was simply no motivation for them to kiss in that moment. The director pointed out that we were playing boyfriend and girlfriend and couples had to tend to dot 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 kiss. Oh, right. So we kissed, but I wasn't happy about it. It's also hard to gauge how well a scene is working if you don't get along with someone. Once you know how someone is, <laughs> once you know someone's an asshole, it's hard to find anything they f say funny, charming, or poignant. I find myself thinking, I wouldn't believe this guy if he warned me about an impending nuclear fallout. He's an asshole. Sometimes, though, nothing bonds a cast like a common enemy. Okay, pause. This is also accurate in school as well. Like, when everybody hates their fucking teacher. So, like, the class becomes super close, and you've got, like, a group chat talking about how much your teacher sucks. <clears throat> okay. Resuming. For an independent film I once did, an acting coach was hired. I've never been sure why. It's certainly not common practice. She took herself very seriously, so we felt we had to take her seriously as well. We did an exercise in pairs where we ran across the room towards each other and jumped as high as we could at the point of intersection. After a while, my woefully unathletic ass said, Hey, I'm sort of out of breath here. Can I take a break for a second? No, keep jumping. Jump higher. 
are you my Soviet gymnastic coach? I thought we were all adults, and I thought we all kind of understood that this acting exercise was new age bullshit. I prepared to run at my partner. Fuck me, now I've got to commit twice as hard or she's going to make me keep doing it. But that's the trouble with being an anemic little weakling. You can't just draw from your reserve of energy and focus because you don't have one. It was immediately clear that I wasn't going to improve, so she had me do another, enough runs to conceivably be satisfied and said, That was great work. Much better, Anna. We thanked her for all her help. That night, the whole cast went out for dinner, and one of the men was the first to break. Okay, that lady was crazy, right? The rest of us couldn't agree fast enough. I ended up feeling closer to that cast than most others. If I ever direct something, I'm going to hire one crazy person so that the rest of the people get along. Okay. So, I just really enjoyed that one because I like hearing about film like sets and stuff since it's something that I'll probably never experience. I remember when I was like eight years old, I was fucking convinced that I was going to be the next Hannah Montana. Like, I was like, I'm destined for fame. I know I'm going to be famous because if I'm not, I'm going to hate my life. But now I feel like I would just be too nervous and shy. I can't. I'm definitely not the outgoing type. I think I'd be a horrible actress. (coughs) I'm going to just stick to my Instagram. Okay, so the next chapter that I picked was the one about Twilight. Um, If you don't know, I guess I didn't even mention which movies she's like super popular in. So she's known for a number of films, including Camp, which I think is an independent film. I haven't seen that one. Up in the Air, which is with George Clooney. I saw that one. It's pretty good. Into the Woods, I haven't seen. The Last Five Years and Trolls. Um, And also her song Cups from Pitch Perfect went triple platinum, which (laughs) I had no idea, but that's kind of hilarious. So she's been in a lot of films. She's also, I think, in that new one with Blake Lively. The one where she's like a simple favor or something. I forget what it's called, but yeah. So she was in Twilight. And if you don't know which one she is, she explains it in this chapter. But I thought it was super interesting because she's not a main character in Twilight. So she just kind of like got to hang out on set and then like experience it, but not fully. Um, So her point of view is really interesting. I've never really, I've seen the Twilight movies a few times, but I honestly think they kind of suck. So I haven't seen all of them. Um, so yeah, let's just dive in. For those of you thinking, wait, she was in Twilight? I sure was. I was the sassy, awkward friend who broke up the relentless succession of intense stare-downs with musings on boys, tanning, and various school gossip. It was a sweet gig. The rest of the actors had to bring heart and honesty to fantasy situations involving life, death, eternal love, and the preservation of one's immortal soul. All I had to do was make jokes about how everyone was acting weird all the time. Okay, pausing. Every time I watch Twilight, I've only watched it a few times, but it always makes me so uncomfortable because, in my opinion, I feel like the acting's really awful. Like, I don't... It just looks like they're always about to take a shit. Like Edward and Bella when they're staring at each other. Sorry. Okay. Continuing. The best part was that I got all the fun with none of the consequences. I was able to show up to this mega franchise for one to three weeks per movie, bear witness to the madness, and act like an idiot. I was once allowed to go on a rant about the zombie apocalypse genre, which was mostly a shout out to Edgar Wright, and it was actually ended up in the film. And I wasn't saddled with the creepy super fame. Most of the cast couldn't walk out the door without being mobbed, but weirdly, the vapid friend from school didn't inspire the same zeal in fans. None of the other filmmakers I worked with during those years had ever seen Twilight, but the series kept me in the room and bored while I did their movies for no money. It was like the world's most ridiculous day job. Sorry, my nose is running. I have a vivid memory of my first day on the movie. 
The cast and crew had been shooting for several weeks already, and I was brought to the set to say hello to the director before my first scene the next day. Usually, a cast is super happy to see additional characters. It's nice to get some new blood. Walking into the lunch tent felt like a scene from Band of Brothers. There were Toka... Tokoa men? I don't know what that is. Am I just stupid? They were Tokoa men, and I was the idiot greenhorn showing up like, Hey bros, who's amped to get in there and rip it up? Kellen Lutz. Okay, Kellen is the really hot brother of Edward. He's so hot. I think. I hope that's who it is, because that's who I'm picturing. Kellen Lutz is the sweetest guy, but that day I think he might have strangled me if he'd had the energy. Kristen Stewart, one of the most committed actors I've ever worked with, made a valiant effort to be friendly, but I could tell she was putting her back into it. Underneath every word I heard, you don't know, man. You don't know what it's like out here. (laughs) Wet and cold is not an environment conducive, conductive, conducive. I sound like such an idiot on this podcast episode. Wet and cold is not an environment conducive to making friends. Imagine if the first four weeks of a new job were spent outdoors in the freezing rain. Even when you all got to go inside, you just want to sleep and defrost your toes. You can't create many inside jokes when you're mostly numb. We were shooting in Oregon and Canada, in some of the most breathtaking locations I've ever seen. I would have enjoyed them more if I'd been in galoshes and a winter jacket. As it happened, we were pretending it was late spring, and after my first 30 minutes on set, ice-cold water had seeped into my converse and saturated my cotton socks. Only 14 hours to go! On a small set, I might have had the luxury of a fluffy coat to run into before, after, before and after a scene. On Twilight, I was referred to most often as number 44. A coat wasn't in the cards. I'd also like to mention the real MVPs of the Twilight movies, the background actors. Sometimes referred to as extras, background actors have the most thankless job on set. By the fourth movie, old number 44 had at least earned herself, scratch that, itself, a coat. But movie four was brutally cold, especially the wedding scenes. Between shots, the background actors stood around those space heaters that do almost nothing, but they didn't have winter coats, and they would come back the next day. If you told me I had to be in that weather with no relief, I would have bailed like that little bitch that I am. Extreme cold messes with you. The elements don't discriminate. And no amount of you're getting paid to do this matters when your body's basic survival instincts are in play. Someone once told me that the reason most Navy SEALs drop out isn't because of the physical demands or the danger, but because they don't want to be cold all the time anymore. So now, when I'm standing in a patch of wet moss in open-toed shoes and strapless chiffon sundress, watching my breath fog in front of my face, sometimes they try to make you suck on ice so they won't have to remove the fog in post. Don't fall for it. I think you're a fucking Navy SEAL, Kendrick. You will get through this scene. You will stay... You will say this stupid joke, and if you lose a nipple to frostbite in the process, it will be for art. We shot that chilly wedding sequence in the forest outside of Squamish, British Columbia. Squamish had a population of about 17,000 people, and as far as I could tell, only one hotel capable of housing a film crew. The production company rented out the whole place. If anyone lives in Squamish, hit me up. I want to know what it's like. Sorry, resuming. The hotel was set back from the road and surrounded by grassy fields. My room was on the lobby level and faced the back of the grounds, overlooking a little lake and thick woods that started, about a fo- that started about a football field's length from my window. It was probably quite pretty in the summer or the deep winter, but muddy early spring gave it a foreboding quality. The only book I brought with me, I swear on my life, was The Shining. It was a large hotel, much larger in fact than our crew needed, so the place was eerily empty. Oh my god, I need to breathe. Hold on. renting out every room seemed like overkill but by the time we were making breaking dawn the twilight mania had reached critical mass 
Certain precautionary me- measures had to be taken for the security of the cast and crew, so it was just us, the lonely patients of an expansive asylum. At least twice a day, someone I didn't recognize would be in the lobby getting kicked out as they protested that they were really, really were waiting for a friend. The hotel staff knew no one was staying there, but the cast and the crew, and none of us had invited friends up because no one wants to come to Squamish. So there's a little note. It says, beautiful country up there. I highly recommend visit. Perhaps a non-Stephen King novel. I struck up a conversation with the receptionist, and she said that they were trying to stop people before they got onto the grounds, but the most innocuous-looking one slipped through. The paparazzi, on the other hand, knew that legally they had to stay past the end of the long drive. She pointed down the road to the five black SUVs parked and running, just as the entrance of the hotel. Holy shit, I haven't even noticed them before. I stayed in my room. The paps didn't care about me. They were there for the Christians and Robs of the world, but it was a creepy knowing that they were there. Inside, I had nothing to do. The internet didn't work, and the TV was Canadian TV. So, against my better judgment, I read The Shining. Um, yeah, that's pretty much <clears throat> that episode. It was just kind of, like, interesting to hear more about what her filming was like. Like I said, just filming the um, movies was super interesting for me. And I was kind of bummed that she didn't talk about <coughs> Pitch Perfect that much. Like, she mentioned some stuff. Um, I marked this one, but I'm not sure why. Uh... <clears throat> oh, okay. This is why I, meant I marked it. I think I only marked it for a few paragraphs. So the next one is called Fame Changes Everything, aka I'm in Vogue, but I still don't have a TV. So throughout most of this book, she talks about how like broke she is living in LA, which is... I, I don't know why it's so interesting to me because she's she was in like big movies like she was in Twilight and she still didn't have any furniture in her apartment so it was like a lot of actors and actresses I feel like don't get paid very much until they're in like big films starring in them um so yeah fame did change things for example when you googled Anna Kendrick the second wife of colonial New Hampshire governor Benjamin Pierce also named Anna Kendrick was no longer the first result make it rain The other new development was that strangers got real friendly and said hello to me and asked for pictures, and that's the end of the list. Fame doesn't change much else. It doesn't change how you feel about your high school nemesis or how your passive-aggressive uncle treats you. It just shifted from, maybe if you got a real job, you could afford a car that doesn't break down every week, to, well, we can't all be Hollywood actresses who eat gold and poop caviar. And believe me, I was loathe to discover fame wasn't changing me. I really hoped that I'd transform into a vanilla... Oh my god. I really hoped I would have transformed into a benevolent, self-possessed woman. Even when I got nominated for an Oscar, I was still just as anxious, jaded... I was still an anxious, jaded procrastinator. I'm so sorry. I am horrible at reading out loud. Okay, we're restarting. Even when I got nominated for an Oscar, I was still just an anxious, jaded procrastinator. Maybe we all have imposter syndrome and perpetually feel like our real life is right around the corner. And if daily, often unearned, praise from strangers didn't help me out with that, I guess we've all just got to put up, put in the work. Oh my god. My mouth isn't working. <clears throat> the incident that really should have made me insufferably smug only confirmed to me that I was a squirrely, squirrely little weirdo. A few months after the Oscars, I ran into the prettiest girl from my high school's on a trip home. She approached me in the street and we chatted for barely 30 seconds before the conversation petered out. Then I noticed her bag. Oh, hey, I have that purse. I know, she said. I got it because of you. 
This should have felt so satisfying. Instead, my stomach lurched at the batshit crazy notion that people I used to know could find out what purse I was carrying at, at any given moment and that they would buy it. I want to go back to being a loser in the corner, please. I, like, really enjoyed reading this because, um... I remember asking my mom, I think, like, six months ago, I was like, does it ever feel like you know what the frick you're doing? And she was like, um, not really. And so, I don't know why I find it reassuring. It's like when you get an F on your test and your best friend gets an F on your test, you're like, oh, it's fine that I got an F. Like, it's reassuring to know that even Anna Kendrick, who is, like, a Hollywood actress, still feels anxious and nervous and, like, she's an imposter. But I also feel like that's something that women in general, like, not to cancel out men's imposter syndrome, but I feel like a lot of women deal with it. Just my opinion. Okay. So that's pretty much all the chapters I chose. I didn't want to read a bunch of them because I didn't want to bore you guys. Um, And I wanted you to read the book because it's really good. I am going to outline a few of the cool, like, important notes of this book just to see if it'll encourage you to read it. So the main themes or ideas were... Achieving what you truly want sometimes requires an endurance test. She actually talks about this a lot in the beginning and the middle um, because she puts so much effort into starting her acting career. And it's kind of like you just have to keep doing shit. And I'll, okay, I'll let me frame it this way. One of my best friends, she was in the biology program and it got harder and harder. Like it was really hard in the beginning and it got harder with each class. And she kept saying, like, they have hard classes because they're trying to weed out people. And I feel like that's kind of just how life is with whatever you're trying to work towards. Um, you have to see if you're, like, strong enough to keep pushing forward. And so she went from, like, she was in Broadway at the age of 12. And then she decided to move to L.A. And it was, like, she couldn't find jobs. And it's just, like, you have to keep trying if you want to work towards what you want. Otherwise, you might as well find something else um and so this book kind of just outlines exactly how she did that because she literally worked her ass off to get where she is and it's just really interesting to me um the second main point is there's fulfillment in producing something tangible okay so this is about um (laughs) like she was struggling I'm pretty sure it's from the chapter where she was struggling um with like finding a job and she wasn't feeling like secure on herself and so she got really into baking and she was saying how producing something tangible made her feel more secure in herself. And I can kind of relate to that because when I had my job last year that I hated, I cooked so much. Like, every night I cooked dinner. I still do, but I think I was more elaborate with my recipes back then. And it's because I needed something, like, I needed to feel like I was useful and, like, I could produce something effective. Um, So if you're going through a tough time, try baking or cooking because it does make you feel a lot better. Okay, number three was nobody truly knows what they're doing. This one was my favorite (laughs) point from the book because, I don't know, I feel like when you're growing up, you expect to at some point feel like you know what the fuck you're doing. But every time I talk to anyone, like my best friend, she works in cybersecurity and she's super smart and she still feels like she doesn't know what she's doing. Like my parents don't know. I remember talking to my grandpa. He was telling my mom like... No one knows what the fuck they're doing. You just kind of have to do shit. Um, So that's like reassuring, but also kind of scary that you just never know what you're doing. Number four, fame really doesn't change who you are. And number five, don't be complacent. Strive to remain self-reliant. I love this one because I feel like a lot of people, especially in the pandemic right now, 
are having a hard time like figuring out what to do with their lives or they're having like struggling a lot with motivation um and like being locked in your house all the time kind of makes you depressed so just like finding things every day to do that make you feel motivated that help you work towards your goals one of my favorite quote is did you do something today to work towards your ideal life um and Anna like demonstrates this a lot throughout the book because literally all the time she's working to reach her goal of becoming a professional actress and she achieves it So I really, like, the book's hilarious, but it also has a lot of great life lessons in it. So this is my 17th time telling you to read it. And now I'm going to read you my favorite quotes. One of, this one quote has stuck in my head literally since the day I read it, two two and a half years ago. I don't remember how long ago I read it, but, like, I think about it all the time. So here we go. I gave up on being nice. I started putting, putting more value on other qualities instead. Passion, bravery, intelligence, practicality, humor, patience, fairness, sensitivity. Those last three might seem like they're covered by nice, but make no mistake, they are not. A person who smiles a lot and remembers everyone's birthday can turn out to be an undercover crazy, a compulsive thief, or a boring, boring to boot. I don't put a lot of stock in nice. I'd prefer to be around people who have any of the above qualities over niceness. And I'd prefer if that applied to me too. I'm also okay with the most accurate description of me is nervous and a little salty. But at least I know what I want to strive for. Um, there was another one in here. Okay, this is the other one that I really, really loved. <clears throat> 90% of the people I've worked with who are disruptive, lazy, or unskilled, or addicts, or likely to throw a tantrum, are men. 90% of the ones who are get called difficult are women. So she talks a lot about women in the workplace and in the industry. And it's so interesting to hear about like how people it's, I mean, it's not, sometimes it's not purpose, like purposely being sexist because that's just fucking how our society is. But it's so interesting to hear how like she talks about dealing with it and standing up for herself because I mean, I'm horrible at standing up for myself. So it's super interesting. Okay, so the next one says, some dudes like to say that men have the instinct to spread their, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm restarting. Some dudes like to say that men have the instinct to spread their seed while women are supposed to protect their reproductive organs from everything but the best sperm for the strongest potential offspring. By that logic, every woman in the world should be saving herself for Dwayne the Rock Johnson and never let any of you shitheads touch her. Seriously, you guys should stop using that argument. Um, she talked about her dating life and I remember she was talking about how she was like excited for sex or something and some guy was like shaming her for it. And so she like went on a rant, I think for a whole chapter and it was really, really interesting. I keep saying it was really interesting, but like this book was just so fun to read because I don't know, I know her the best from Pitch Perfect and I loved like her character in Pitch Perfect and I feel like that's low-key how she is in real life. So next quote Oh, this one I love. It's like it's like I have a different heart. The other girls have one kind of heart, and I have a different kind of heart. My mom was understandably confused. Are you saying they're mean? No, I don't know. Saying other kids were mean felt like I was saying I was more kind, which definitely wasn't it. More anxious, maybe? More sensitive? I guess all I was feeling was that I was different. Sometimes I'll be at work or a party and get the same feeling that I was different. I don't know what I'm doing here, and it comforts me to know that I feel like I feel that way as a child too. Oh, I just butchered the fuck out of that quote. Hold on, I'm gonna restart. I'm so sorry. 
It's like, it's like I have a different heart. The other girls have one kind of heart and I have a different kind. My mom was understandably confused. Are you saying they're mean? No, I don't know. Saying other kids were mean felt like I was saying I was more kind, which definitely was not it. More anxious, maybe? More sensitive? I guess all I was feeling was that I was different. Sometimes I'll be at work or a party and get that same feeling. I am not like these people. I don't know what I'm doing here. And it comforts me to know that I felt that way as a child, too. Maybe that should make me feel worse, but it makes me feel calm and resolved. I've been prepared to be an outsider most of my life. Does anyone else ever feel like that? Like, sometimes I'll feel like I don't relate to anyone and I don't think the same way as people. I felt like this a lot in college. Like, in my classes, people would answer a question and I, in my head, I answered it the absolute different way. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm wrong. And my teacher's like, oh, that's a good perspective. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not completely wrong, but... I just feel like I always have thought different from other people, and I just feel like an idiot sometimes, but we'll just reassure myself that Anna Kendrick feels that way, so I guess it's normal. Okay, the next quote. I lost a Tony Award to a Broadway legend, Audra McDonald, when I was 12, so I've been a bitter bitch since my first, before my first period. That's just another one of her being funny. Love her. The next one. I think I need to become perfect all at once, so I keep getting overwhelmed and putting it off. I can't remember the last time that I didn't have something hanging over my head. There are usually about 30 to 80 things. Is that normal? Don't tell me. If it's not, I'm a jerk. If it is, that's super depressing, and I know I'll just use this. This is normal as an excuse to procrastinate even more. Ugh, that's so relatable. Like, I... I listen to Gary Vee a lot, and he like, always talks about, like, stop striving for perfection, just fucking make action, and as you're practicing, like, you'll learn to be better, and honestly, this podcast is kind of that way for me, like, I always, like, I record episodes, and then I never release them, because I don't feel, like, super confident in them, and I think I just need to, like, like record them and fucking release them, because at, at the end of the day, I'm doing this because I enjoy doing it. And not because I'm like so hell-bent on making everyone else love it. Um, but I mean, again, like a lot of college kids. I I graduated a year ago, but I just keep relating everything back to college because I feel like most of my like followers on Instagram and people who listen to my podcast are either in college or recently graduated. And I think that like a lot of people have so much anxiety and stress in college because they're striving to be absolutely perfect. And I can tell you from my personal experience... I'm not a genius, and I worked pretty hard in college, but I wasn't, like, die-hard striving to be perfect, and I turned out okay. So if you have, like, an assignment, or especially in the pandemic where everything's online and you're stressed as frick, take a break. Go, like, take a hot bath, sit in the shower, go for a run, like, do something to chill out because it doesn't need to be perfect. Do your best and turn it in and be done with it, okay? Because I can tell you without a doubt, like, having a college degree... Whether you had, like, a 3.9 or a 3.2, at the end of the day, like, um, people are not asking what your GPA is. At least the people I applied for. Oh, my God, my cat has passed out. He's so cute. Okay, the next one. <clears throat> oh, imposter syndrome. Here we go. Maybe we all have imposter syndrome and perpetually feel like our real life is right around the corner. So this is from one of the chapters that I read. Um, but... Uh, If anyone follows Grace Beverly on Instagram, she is the founder and CEO of Tala, Shreddy, and what's the other one? Oh, she owns another business. I forget what it's called. BND, Band. 
Um, so they're three fitness companies, but she talks about her imposter syndrome all the time. She's literally my idol. Um, she went to Oxford and she started three businesses while at Oxford. Like, can't relate. What a genius. And she talks about how, like, she has imposter syndrome all the fucking time. Because, well, she's like a 22-year-old CEO of three multi-million dollar companies. I think they're multi-million dollar. They're insanely, um, successful. And so she talks about how she has imposter syndrome all the time. And just dealing with that and... I just think it's interesting that someone that high up has imposter syndrome. Anna Kendrick has imposter syndrome. Like, we all are just trying to survive, I guess. Okay, and then my last quote that I chose was, So many people say they wish they could be young again. You could not drag me back to being 21. All the hiding, all the pretending, all the hanging out with people you don't actually like. That one, I put it as my last one because I also think it's super relatable. Um, Just like, I don't really miss being younger. I'm 23 now. I'm not very, I'm not that old, but like, I don't miss high school at all. I loved college, but like, I wouldn't want to go back. Like, cause I feel like you deal with shit and you learn from it. And like, I'm ready for the next chapter and I'm not wishing my life away, but I'm really, 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 really fudging happy with where I'm at right now. And I don't think I've been able to say that for like four years. Like I've never been this content with my life in a really long time. So that's pretty exciting for me. I hope you guys are content with your lives or at least are working towards that. Um, It's shitty when you're not. You can DM me on Instagram if you're not. I love talking to people. But yeah, so that is Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick. Um, If you have suggestions for how to format this book club better, let me know. I was thinking about doing like a live recording on Instagram live so that people can like comment and we can chat about the book and then I'll post like the live recording as the podcast episode. I think that would be kind of fun. But let me know. I'll probably post this on the Bangarang uh with Caro Instagram. And you guys can let me know if that's something you'd be down with. We could schedule it for like a Saturday or something so we're not like all super busy. But I think that would be fun. And then we can actually engage. Oh, we could do the thing where I know on live people can request to join your live and so we could chat. Oh my God, that would be really fun. Or we could do a Zoom meeting and do an actual like recording of the Zoom meeting. I don't know. Just let me know what you're interested in because I think this would be more fun if I was like having a discussion with people and like what their favorite quotes and excerpts were. So yeah, that could be really cool. Um, So the new book that we are doing, let me go grab it really quick. It is more of a self-help type of book. It's not going to be a celebrity autobiography. Uh, like I said in last the last episode of Bangarang, I'm kind of just going to jump around. Like We might read a celebrity autobiography one week, a self-help book the next week, maybe a mystery murder mystery book. Um, I'm currently also reading the Harry Potter series because I'm such a fake fan. I've only seen the movies. My mom used to read us the books um, to bed when we were like six or seven but I've never read them myself. So I'm reading them right now and I'm addicted, obviously, because surprise, the books are good. Not like they have like a million dollar movie um, series off of it. Okay, anyways, the book that we're going to be reading next is By Yourself the Fucking Lilies by Tara Schuster. And it says, other rituals to fix your life from someone who's been there. I started reading this when I went on vacation and I stopped, so I'm really excited to start again. 
But Tara Schuster just, she like talks about things she struggled with and gives you active like ways to help yourself um, become a better person. It's just, so far, I think it's a great read. But she is the vice president and talent of talent and development at Comedy Central. So it's another person in the Hollywood industry. But yeah, so Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies by Tara Schuster is the next book. And we are going to be reading that one this month of August. And then the episode will release, what's the first day? September 1st. It's a Tuesday. So September 1st is when that discussion will be. Um, But stay tuned to the Instagram because we'll decide if we want to do like a live reading or whatever so we can have more discussion. Or you guys can like throw in some questions and we'll chat about them. But yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed the first Bangarang Book Club, my Bangarang baddies. And let me know what you thought. Leave me a review on Apple if you're listening there. Share it with your friends and family. I love you all. And I hope that you have a wonderful week weekend because today's Saturday. I don't know if you're listening to it on today. But yeah, okay. I love you guys. Bye.